one of the biggest deal makers in the NIL space is facing legal and financial issues that may impact the athletes he signed. Plus, we have NBA Hall of Famer Tracy McGrady on later in the show. It's Tuesday, August 1st. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. Ever since college athletes were granted the right to profit off their name, image, and likeness, a flood of money and activity has rushed into that space, and perhaps no one has been more active than University of Miami booster John Ruiz. Ruiz has signed some big-name Miami athletes, including high-profile transfers, such as basketball player Nigel Pack, who came over from Kansas State, and Haley and Hannah Cavender, who transferred from Fresno State. But Ruiz isn't just an NIL dealmaker. He owns two companies, Life Wallet and Cigarette Racing— LifeWallet, which is the primary funder of these deals, has seen its stock go from $10 last year to around $0.20 as of Monday. Now, according to the Miami Herald, LifeWallet is being investigated by the SEC over its claims to investors, and there is concern that some of the athletes he signed are not going to get paid. Joining me now to discuss all of this is Front Office Sports reporter Amanda Kristovich. Welcome, Amanda. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to have you. So... Do you see all this stuff around Ruiz as a problem with one person or more of an issue with the NIL space generally? I think in a sense, you could look at it both ways. I would definitely lean towards this is more a one person issue. Obviously, um, Ruiz told on three that this investigation is not happening, that it's not true. But let's just assume for a second that there is some sort of investigation. Clearly, you know, it's public information, financial information that, um, you know, some of his companies are struggling. So I think there's always a concern that somebody in the space who primarily is funding deals, you know, through their own wealth, their their own pockets, right? There, there isn't necessarily a continuous income stream, although I guess one could argue that there is a continuous income stream if that person is making money continuously, right? Um, but even if they are, I think there's always a concern that um, contracts aren't going to be upheld, that players aren't going to get the money that they were promised because of issues like, you know, filing for bankruptcy, for example. There was a, um, a sports betting company that um, disbanded, filed for bankruptcy and disbanded that had done NIL deals. Um, that company had paid the athletes by the time they filed for bankruptcy. So it was okay, right? I don't know that that's an NIL problem so much as it's just an American economic problem. Um, but as far as far as college sports goes, I do think that um, there are lots of different ways that athletes are profiting and profiting from literally one person isn't necessarily the most common way. So I don't think it's like an industry wide issue, if that makes sense. Yeah. And is, are NIL deals any less solid than, you know, your just your standard, you know, I pay you for a service deal? Um like, could those contracts not be honored uh, for any particular reason other than, you know, just the, the company can't pay and because they can't pay anyone? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that they're – look, it depends on the contract. I, we've all heard plenty of rumors about um, bad contracts and, and, and promises, quote-unquote, unfulfilled, right? That's actually a big thing that the NCA is peddling. 
um, right now and saying that they're trying to protect athletes from that, even though spoiler alert, they're not. Um, but I, I don't, again, I don't think that that's necessarily any bigger of an issue in NIL as it would be in the professional endorsement space or just the business world writ large. I think the biggest issue is having protection and representation. Um, I think it, in the NIL world, there's definitely less protection and definitely less um, represent good representation available to 18 to 22 year olds who may not have money to, to pay someone to do so than there are in the business world. So I think that's more the issue than a concern over like the financial viability of a company that an athlete is doing a deal with. And I, I have one more question on Ruiz, but where do you see the NCAA not meeting its promises around protecting athletes and their NIL deals? The NCAA has rules about NIL that it's not enforcing. So that's just the first thing. But even if they were enforcing the rules, the rules are more about protecting the NCAA's business model of amateurism than they are about protecting the athletes. And I'll give you an example where one of their rules actually not only is not, it, it, it actually makes it harder for athletes to get access to protection. So the NCAA said that it would be a quote unquote impermissible benefit for an athletic department to pay for an accountant or a lawyer um, to represent their athletes, right? Um, if the rest of the student body didn't have access to that same thing. So essentially what I'm saying is athletic departments with millions of dollars could be, and certainly in many cases have wanted to pay, you know, for let's say 10 hour, you know, a lawyer that they trust, right. In the community, pay them 10, 15 hours a week. Right. And any athlete who wants to use their services can, can book an appointment. They can't do that because of the NCAA's rules. So not only, you know, and then let's talk about lobbying in Congress. Most of what the NCAA is asking for is protections for its own business model rather than protections for the athletes themselves. So we could do a whole separate episode on that, but I'll, I'll leave it there for now. Yeah, sounds like there's some fertile territory there. Getting back to Ruiz, um, he's this is not the first time we've seen his name in the news around NIL. So what else do we know about this guy? Yeah, so, I mean, Ruiz has been one of the most outspoken um, boosters and NIL collective. And and first, I, I would add, NIL collective participants um, you know, he, he's often very vocal about the deals that he's doing. He claps back on Twitter. He, um, makes his own headlines. He, um, I guess, quote unquote, most controversially was the subject of the only NCA punishment related to NIL. Um, he, and so it, it was about his deal with the Cavender twins. The NCA couldn't find that he like, you know, there was a recruiting inducement necessarily. All they could find was that Ruiz had a quote unquote impermissible dinner with the Cavender twins before they agreed to go to Miami, um, where they, you know, he had them over for dinner. So he paid for their food. And apparently they didn't even talk about the NIL deal at that dinner is what the NCAA found. And they signed that NIL deal after the twins officially transferred, right? Um, so, you know, and he's, he's threatened to sue the NCAA, but he hasn't yet. So, um, you know, one, one could say he's controversial, but one could also to play devil's advocate, um, could say that he's making the rules work for himself, you know? So, 
Yeah. And the recruiting inducement thing feels like something that's probably happening all over the place and not Absolutely. just in Miami. So Absolutely. And and I've spoken with ex ex legal experts who believe that Ruiz was targeted because of how vocal he is, because the NCA thought he would be a big fish to fry. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Amanda Krisovich, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah. Up next, Tracy McGrady was an NBA superstar, but in the decades since he's retired, he's been as active as ever in the business world as an entrepreneur and investor, and now as the founder of the Ones Basketball League, which highlights one-on-one games. My conversation with T-Mac is coming up next. All right, very excited to be joined now by NBA Hall of Famer, Tracy McGrady. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you. So um, you started the Ones Basketball League. So first of all, what is that and what inspired you to start it? So Ones Basketball League comes from uh, really just giving guys a platform that are not in the NBA, not on the G League roster, um, guys that have a unique skill set for one-on-one basketball that you should know about. There's a lot of untapped talent out here that no one is talking about, and I just figured giving them a platform so we can highlight and identify who these guys are. Uh, one-on-one basketball is a pure essence of the sport. I don't know why nobody has created this platform uh, on a global level, but I'm the lucky one. OBL is here to stay. Um, so here we are. We got a four-part <clears throat> docu-series that's coming out this Friday, highlighting one-on-one basketball and really telling the stories of some of the guys that participated in it. But you know, when you look at the landscape of basketball, man, there's thousands and thousands of basketball players that leave college and really don't have a place to play. Right. So uh, it's this platform that's given them the opportunity to showcase their, their skill set. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, you self-funded the league for the first season for around, I saw $6 million written in one place. Um, how did it feel to put you know, that big a personal investment into this dream? Yeah, well, you know, um, in order for you to to, to grab people's attention or get the right partners, you got to put skin in the game. You got to believe in it first before anybody else believes in it. And I believe in it that much that I put my own funds into this uh, to build up for these guys. And, you know, the, the, the feedback that we're getting is great. Um, I think a lot of people is appreciating the platform and hopefully, you know, we can continue to grow and, and build it out. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I saw you raised another 10 to $12 million um, to, to continue to, to grow this league. Uh, what does that growth look like for you? Uh, for me, I think the overall picture is to have OBL on a global stage, right? I mean, we want this abroad. We want OBL having a, uh, a league playing simultaneously, you know, in various countries and then them identifying who their greatest one-on-one player is. Then we bring it all together and create our own, if you will, World world Cup, right, to identify the world's greatest basketball player in one-on-one basketball. So uh, that's the overall, you know, uh, vision for this. Um, but it's, it's we got a lot of work, you know, cut out for us. We got to identify what that structure looks like here in North America and then we can take off to um, doing something bigger and better. Yeah. And how do you find players? I mean, even though you've got, you know, the whole world of anyone not in the NBA or the G League, you still have to slim it down to a pretty small number. So, yeah. How, what's the selection process like? 
So I, I have a lot of relationships, obviously, through <laughs> through the uh, through the sport of basketball. But then you have underground one-on-one leagues where guys are playing for wages. I mean, you're talking about thousands and thousands of dollars that these guys are playing for. Uh, if I have a guy in my my neighborhood where I come from, and there's a, a, a guy that's really good at basketball. I'm going to sponsor him. And then I'm going to take him across town to compete against somebody else that's doing the same thing. I'm going to put ten to $20,000 on the line and may the best man wins. Uh, that That's happening out here. Um, so finding the players is the easiest thing. Social media, I bet all the players that participate in OBL. Mm-hmm. And for those players in those underground leagues, Who's funding those? I, mean, I know this is kind of a side issue, but I'm just curious. Um, where's that money coming from? It's it's not a league that they're funding. They just have a, a access to a gym, and these guys are are bringing guys in, you know, uh, that has sponsors behind them and playing for money, or they're sponsoring themselves. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, so you've been uh, an entrepreneur in a number of ways um, since you retired from the NBA. Uh, one of those is you started uh, an agency with Jermaine O'Neal, 7-1. What's the story behind that? Yeah, so during the pandemic, uh, Jermaine and I was having extensive conversations about trying to do something, and we came up with starting an agency and really uh, giving back to the players and, and, and helping them uh, on their journey of becoming an NBA player because, you know, we're players that have went through it, um, you know, for 15 years that I played and 18 years that Jermaine played. Um, so it was just a great idea that we came together to form this agency and, and, and be um, a, a, a staple in a competitive arena, which is what the agency business is. Um, I've, I've since have kind of felt back a little bit because of OBL, because of China opening back up and my trips back and forth to China. So I don't really have the time I had when we first started this, but Jermaine is doing a tremendous job of continue with the success of 7-1 sports. Mm-hmm. And how do you differentiate yourself in that very competitive agency landscape, even if, you know, you're not as involved right now? You mean as a whole, as an agency? Yeah, yeah. Just what's what's the kind of why if I'm an NBA or, you know, an aspiring NBA player, uh, why would I choose 7-1? Yeah, well, I think you you have players that are honest and that have been through it and really can speak the language of what you're, you know, can help you uh, adapt you know, quicker room, someone that really hasn't been in any locker rooms, don't know what anything about um, what goes on in these locker rooms. It's hard to have a conversation with kids that haven't, and you haven't been in those locker rooms. You haven't been in certain situations of, of you know, being on an NBA team. So I, I think we have a one-up on that. Um, and, and, and being through, you know, lockouts and going through different CBAs, um, you know, understanding how, the, the contract works and understanding how much money a team has to give away. Like we've been through all of that. Uh, but Jermaine is, Jermaine is on top of that. You know, he's uh, well-versed and educated on it and given, you know, the players and uh, of seven, one, what they, they truly need. And, you know, hopefully it's a agency that's going to grow and be a staple um, like a clutch force and, and a CAA or something like that. And you mentioned going back and forth to China. Uh, what what's uh, what's what are you doing there? 
just my partners, man. Just got a lot of partnerships over there. Um, they just opened back up. I just took my first trip. I think it was back in February or March. I can't remember. I've gone so many times. <laughs> but uh, just going back and, and, and doing some uh, partnerships with a lot of my partners over there. Okay. Um, and I also saw you invested in some real estate in the Houston area. Is that, you know, a realm that you're interested in, you know, sort of growing your portfolio? For sure. For sure. Real estate is something that I'm, I'm, I'm well interested in, in doing and growing. Um, you know, I have a, a couple of, you know, big projects that I'm working on right now. Um, I have some buildings here in Houston. I have some houses. I have, I'm, I'm well versed in, in diversifying that portfolio. Uh, but it's, it's, it's been fun. It's been, you know, really, uh, just really, uh, learning a lot about the business world since I've been retired and uh, it's been fun and challenging. And is this kind of your standard real estate investment where, you know, the properties tend to appreciate and you, you know, make money through renting them out or leasing or whatever, or is there yeah, sort of a more, a more specific vision there? Uh, I, I tend to, to go with buildings that have tenants already in it. I, I don't want anything that um, uh, any startups, anything I, I I'm, I'm with, you know, purchasing buildings that have tenants and uh, maintaining that uh, for years and, and having that, you know, be, um, you know, businesses that I, I look forward to to really diving into. Um, right now, I have two buildings about to sell off one and, 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 you know, buy some more. So it's been fun, man, learning how this real estate business works. Yeah. And I find people who, you know, are, you have investments and projects in a lot of different places. Often they have at least as many ideas as they have active projects. Do you have anything um, that you're, you're thinking about doing next on the list? No. So, I mean, you know, the real estate has been going on for quite some time now, but you know, when you put $6 million into a a project, you solely got to focus on that. And that's what I'm building right now is OBL. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, then what's what's the next big thing for OBL? Uh, next big thing is coming back 24 season, uh, coming back bigger and better and um, giving the fans, you know, some excitement with these guys. And, you know, hopefully this is a, a sustainable lead moving forward. All right. Well, Trace McGrady, thank you so much for joining us on the show. All right. Appreciate you, bro. Thank you. That's it for today. We have a stacked lineup of interviews this week, plus MLB trade deadline coverage and the NFL preseason. Subscribe. You don't want to miss it. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow.